Well, hello, Pastor Matt here. Just want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning in to this message. We here at New Life Baptist Church hope that in making these resources available to the public, that we'll help to edify the body of Christ at large, and that you personally will increase in your knowledge of God, leading to a deeper love for Him. Now, what you're about to listen to is a teaching lesson from our Wednesday night study series entitled, What is God Like? A Study of the Attributes of the Almighty. Very excited to be here with all of you. Um, Such a pleasure, such a joy, such a privilege to be able to be here and worship with all of you and study about our God. So let's get to it, shall we? We're picking up our study of what is God like. We're looking at the attributes of God. Tonight, we're looking at God is omnipresent. Omnipresent God. That's what we're going to be looking at tonight. Uh, so we want to look at what Scripture says about God's omnipresence. Now, before we do that, um, I do want you to know that omnipresence or omnipresence, this is not a word that you're going to find in the Bible, okay? You could search through it. It's not in there. It is a word that theologians and scholars have applied to explain one of God's attributes. But Scripture does talk at length about God's presence being everywhere. So we're going to look at a bunch of different scriptures tonight. What I did, um, so that you can kind of know how this is going to go, um, I took Sister Diane's advice, and we're going to put a bunch of the stuff up on the screen. Okay, so I've got um, the general outline will be on the screen, so that way you can write down all the scripture references. Uh, I do encourage you to write them down, because there's a lot And I'm not going to wait for us all to flip there, because otherwise it's just going to take a really long time. So when we come to those references, I'll just read them off, and you can write them down from the screen. Okay, God is omnipresent. Um, The definition of God being omnipresent is that God is not constrained by space or time, and is present at every point of space with his whole being, yet God acts differently in different places. So we're going to dive into the meaning of that definition tonight and hope for a better understanding of what that is. Let's pray. Gracious God, Lord, we just are so privileged to be here tonight, God, and and to, to live in a country where we have the opportunity to gather freely without concern of government breaking in and taking us all to jail. God, what what an incredible privilege we have just to to be in a country like this that gives us that freedom. God, and we are so grateful to be in this place specifically, in New Life Baptist Church in Wolforth, Texas, with these people talking about this God, this omnipresent God. Lord, I just ask that your spirit... Um, that you manifest your spirit in this place tonight by giving us wisdom and insight to to see great and wonderful things from your word that we've never seen before. Lord, that we may leave this place with a greater understanding of of what you're like and who you are so that we can serve you um, as you deserve, Lord. 
I pray for these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So, our definition, God is not constrained by space or time and is present at every point of space with his whole being. Yet, God acts differently in different places. Uh, so, this is some of the topics that we're going to get into tonight. As you have already learned, I'm sure, are like way up here. They're high and lofty. Why? Because we're talking about God. Where some of this stuff is going to just be really, really hard to grasp. Now, I want to tell you, don't be discouraged, okay? It's hard to understand because it's God. We're talking about God Almighty. We're talking about Yahweh, the God of the burning bush. So some of this stuff is going to be hard to grasp. I mean, to be honest, if we were to try to understand all that God is, even just God's omnipresence, it would be like trying to fit the Atlantic Ocean inside of a cup. It's not going to fit, but it will fill that cup. And that's what we're aiming for, is we just want our cups to be full. And then we want to pray for wisdom that we can understand more and pray for a bigger cup that we can learn more and more about God. So, let's look at this definition a little bit. It, it's talking about him not existing in space or time. So since God does not exist spatially or within space, the confines of a room, for example, he's not physically in a room, we should avoid saying or talking about or thinking that there's any place, any building um, that gives you special access to the presence of God. Does that make sense? There is no building that God's presence dwells within that you have special access to God because God's omnipresent. He doesn't exist within the confines of space. Now, he has given us this good gift of church for us, for our edification, so that we can come together and learn and be, be edified together as a body and, and be able to lean on one another and grow in our knowledge of the Savior. But he doesn't exist here, right? If, if we were to send God mail, we wouldn't have an address to send it to. There, there's no physical location where God exists because he cannot be contained within a structure or a garment. We've, we've heard people talk about that, well, this God is in this cup, or God is in this robe, or God is in this particular sacrament. God does not exist in things. So that's pantheism. Pantheism is the idea that everything is God. This microphone is God. This little fake plant up here is God, and God is everything. You hear people talk about God like he's just this grand universe, right? You hear people saying, well, the universe just needs to smile on me. And if the universe would just work in my favor, what they're talking about is that idea that God is everything. And he's just kind of this big mystical being and that kind of moves its way through everything. But that's not what we're saying when we say that God is omnipresent. We just mean that he is everywhere. He is there. He is present. But how can we know that God is omnipresent? I have three different ways 
that we can see that God is omnipresent, that we're not just making this up. The first of all is creation. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created space. He created space for people to exist within. Therefore, God exists outside of space. You following that train of thought? God can't exist within something that he created. This is a really, really, really challenging thought. Because I don't know about you, but whenever I think about what happened before in the beginning, I just sometimes just imagine that there was like this big white room that didn't have walls, it didn't have a ceiling, it doesn't have a floor, but it's a room, and that's where God was, and he was just kind of there until he made everything. But that's not true. God didn't exist inside of anything. He was just there. Where there is? Everywhere. (laughs) Everywhere. God is everywhere. He is omnipresent, and then he created everything else. So the first way that we can see that God is omnipresent is from creation itself. We've read from from Romans how creation speaks of the glories of God, that all of his invisible attributes have been clearly seen in creation. So that's the first way that we can see that God is omnipresent. The second way is experience. How many of you in here have ever been through a challenging time? I don't have to tell you that God is with you in the challenging times, right? So how can you know God is omnipresent? Because you've been through some things. Psalm 46, 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Present. You cannot be present if you're not omnipresent. If God was not omnipresent, then he wouldn't be present there with you in your troubles. But he is. Why? Because he's omnipresent. Psalm 139.7. All of one, Psalm 139 really talks a lot about God's attributes, so you might want to just read through that whole chapter. But Psalm 139 verse 7 says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I hide from your presence? Because you're everywhere, God. Everywhere I could possibly go, you're there. And any one of you who have been walking with the Lord for any amount of time would attest to the fact that yes and amen, God is there with you in the struggle. God is there with you in the valley. He's there because he's omnipresent. Next, the third way is God's own faithful witness. Jeremiah 23, 23 through 24 says, Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? He fills heaven and earth. He says, Am I not a God at hand? Meaning, is he not close? And also far away? And then he says he fills heaven and earth. Why? Because he's omnipresent. And just to backtrack a little bit, that prefix there, omni, is not omnimax. It's meaning omni is a prefix that means all. 
So it just means all present, okay? Omnipresent. The omnipresent God declares himself that I'm everywhere. I'm at hand, so I'm close by, and I'm also far away. There's nowhere that you can hide from his face. God tells us of his own omnipresent nature in saying that he fills heaven and earth. So let's move on to the next point. Now, in what ways can we know that God is omnipresent? Or another way to phrase this is, in what ways does God manifest his omnipresence? Because you might be thinking, well, I do remember that God's presence was in the tabernacle, or God's presence was in the temple, or God's presence was with the Israelites in, in the fire and in the cloud, or he was in the burning bush. So we do see evidences throughout Scripture of God manifesting himself. So it would appear as though God actually is there living inside of something. So we need to understand this. Right? We don't want to be just totally confused about God's omnipresence sometimes and then sometimes he's not because sometimes he's in the tabernacle. We want to know what is going on here. So... There are several different ways, as you study throughout Scripture, that God manifests himself in his omnipresence, that he allows himself to be seen or sensed, or there are particular things that he shows up to do in his omnipresence. There's a lot, a really long list. We're not going to go through everything. We're going to look at four specific ways that I think kind of generalize uh, how God manifests his omnipresence. The first one is in sustaining life. God manifests his presence that we may know he's omnipresent in sustaining life. We went over Colossians 1.17 this past Sunday. It says, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He sustains everything. Hebrews 1.3, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Think about that. He upholds the universe by the word of his power? What in the world? This is just a whole other level. Acts 17.25, he himself gives to all mankind Life and breath and everything. So the first way that we see that God manifests his omnipresence is through sustaining life. He's present everywhere, sustaining life. He's present here, making sure all of our hearts are beating, making sure that they, our lungs are going in and out and inhaling and exhaling, all of the blood is flowing through all of our veins perfectly well right now. The lights are on. The sky's not collapsing. The universe is being upheld because God is everywhere sustaining everything. You follow that? Are we with me? Okay. So God is everywhere sustaining everything. He's not only the life giver. He's the life sustainer. He's, pre he's present all throughout all of the entirety of the universe, 
upholding it all. He is present in his sustaining of the universe and all that is within it. What a crazy thought, yet he still has time to answer your prayer. Man, that's, a, that's an amazing God. Like, really? That he's everywhere sustaining everything in the whole universe, but he still takes the time to listen to you and I with our little problems. Man, that's just amazing. What a great God we serve. The second way is in punishing sin. Since God is everywhere, he sees everything. Proverbs 15.3 The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Jeremiah 16.17 For my eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from me, nor is their iniquity concealed from my eyes. That means that he sees the version of you that goes to church. He sees the version of you that goes to work. He sees the version of you that's stuck in traffic. He sees the version of you that's at home by yourself. He sees everything. Why? Because he's omnipresent. He's everywhere, keeping an eye on everything. Psalm 44, 21 Would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. So God, in his omnipresence, does not only see your physical outward actions and habits and behaviors, but he also sees your heart. He also sees your thoughts, your motivations, things about you that you didn't even know were there. God sees it all. Jeremiah 17.10, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. As I was studying this, this just really was a sobering thought. That God is, is everywhere watching my every move? Think about that for a second. Think about just your day today. Think about all the things that you've done from the moment that your eyes opened to right now. Think about the thoughts that you've had running through your mind when that person at work wouldn't stop running their mouth or, or, or that other coworker was really getting under your skin or, or you got a phone call that was disturbing or whatever the case may be. God saw all of those thoughts. That's a sobering thought. That is a sobering realization to know that there is nothing that I can do that is hidden from the Lord. Not a thought I can have, not a motivation buried in my heart, not an intention buried within me. He sees it all. And since he sees all the secret sin in our life and he knows our heart, He punishes the wicked accordingly. Listen to this. Amos 9, 1 through 4. This is God talking. If they dig into Sheol, 
From there shall my hand take them. If they climb up to heaven, from there I will bring them down. If they hide themselves on the top of Carmel, from there I will search them out and take them. And if they hide from my sight at the bottom of the sea, there I will command the serpent, and it shall bite them. And if they go into captivity before their enemies, there I will command the sword, and it shall kill them. And I will fix my eyes upon them for evil and not for good. Boy, that's a different kind of God than we grew up with, isn't it? At least for the most part, for the most of us. The most of us didn't hear that version of God, but we, we understood, we, we've learned that all of God's attributes are equal 100% every single one of his attributes. Meaning he's not more loving than he is wrathful. He's not more uh, graceful than he is merciful. He is all the way, all of his attributes at all times. And that God that has the ability to see you and be there anywhere that you go sees what you're doing. Just let that sink in. And what we learn from Amos is that God is present. He manifests that omnipresence in punishing the wicked. There is no sin that goes unpunished, even for the Christian. Either we will pay for it ourselves in hell, or Jesus Christ has paid for it in our place. But every sin we've ever committed or that we ever will commit gets punished. And we see here clearly and explicitly that God is the acting agent in punishing sin. What does that mean? That means that he doesn't outsource his work to Satan to punish sin. That he does it himself. That he's the one there. He says it right here in Amos. That I'm the one who will go and grab them and I will do it. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7-8 says it this way, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. This passage shows us clearly that God is manifesting his presence to inflict his vengeance on his enemies. This is a challenging thought. And it's a little uncomfortable and unsettling. But we have to wrestle with this because we have to come to terms with the fact that God is who he is. He is who he is regardless of, of, of our opinion or our thought or, or what we feel about that. Now, here's a really challenging aspect of this, is that this is also true in hell. I don't know about you, but I grew up being taught that hell is the absence of God. But if you read Revelation 14, 9 through 11, and you can look at it with me if you'd like to flip there, Revelation at the back of your Bible, chapter 14, verse 9 through 11. 
Revelation 14, 9 through 11. And it says, And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb." And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest. God manifests his omnipresence even in hell. Now let's not make the mistake in thinking or hearing that that means that God is being punished himself in hell, or that he's there just laughing at everyone as they are being tormented in hell. He takes no pleasure in losing people. He wants people to come to repentance and spend eternity with him. But those who reject him, he will inflict his wrath and anger on them for all eternity. And as we see in this verse here, it says, The smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest. This is the due penalty for rejecting Christ. People in hell will wish that hell was actually the absence of God, but it will be the manifest presence of his pure, unbridled fury. Now, for those of us in Christ... Let us feel the fear of that and let that push us to evangelize, to tell people about what's coming for them if they don't turn, if they don't turn and accept the free gift of salvation by putting their faith in Christ. That's what awaits them. Let's not turn our eyes from parts of the Bible that feel uncomfortable to us. But let us see this and understand that this is the God that we serve. Now what do we need to do about it? We need to warn people. That's what evangelism is about, is warning them about if you're not in Christ, you abide under this wrath of God. And if your life ended right now, you would spend eternity under that wrath. But guess what? Jesus Christ paid for that for you. And if you'll put your whole faith and trust in him, in his perfect work, because on the cross he took all of that wrath in your place, if you will trust him, you won't have to experience a drop of that. And when you're in Christ, there will be no condemnation for you. None. It'll be over. And God the Father will look at you as though you're Jesus Christ because you will be clothed in his righteousness. So let's not allow the uncomfortable feeling of, of seeing this and reading this to, to shy, make us shy away from that part of the Bible, but instead to warn the world around us. 
Now, in stark contrast to this one, the third way that we see God manifest his omnipresence is in blessing his people. This is the primary way that we see God's presence represented throughout Scripture is in blessing. That's comforting. So there are a ton of verses for this one, but I just put down two that I thought were really stick out. Joshua 1, 2 through 5. God is talking to Joshua. He's getting him ready to take the troops, the Israelites, into the promised land because Moses has just passed away. And so God is telling him, he's debriefing him and telling him, every place your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. God's presence all throughout, especially the history of Israel as you read the Old Testament, Israel's prosperity was directly linked to the presence of God in their midst. Every time. And throughout the Old Testament, guess what? It was actually financial prosperity. Now let's not make the mistake to think that if we have God's presence, we're going to be rich and we're just going to be wealthy, healthy, and live it up on this life. God has given us a greater promise of eternal riches and not merely just worldly riches. But throughout history, that is what it signified. Psalm 23.5, you know Psalm 23. David says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows in the presence of God. There is great blessing. But most importantly, what he does for us today is that he blesses us with his presence. James 4.8 says, If you draw near to God, God will draw near to you. Church, there is no greater blessing. There's nothing more to want than just the presence of God in your life. And the last and final way that we're going to look at of how God manifests his omnipresence is in saving his people. Saving. Exodus 3, 7 through 8, God is speaking. He says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. God hears the cries of his people and manifests his omnipresence through saving us. 1 Timothy 1.15, my favorite verse. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That was his mission. That was his whole purpose. Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. 
God chose to manifest himself in the person of Jesus Christ to enact his plan of salvation. And this will enable those he saves to spend eternity in the fullness of his presence. We don't, get to, we don't have to worry about the other end of that. If you're in Christ, the promise for you is Psalm 1611. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. All of eternity. No more wrath for you. No more condemnation for you. Just the unbridled, joyful presence of the Lord. This is probably one of the greatest ways that God manifests his omnipresence is in saving his people. He came down. Now, how do you figure that? The omnipresent God who is everywhere put the fullness of his deity inside of a person. A person, the person named Jesus. We're going to look at that this coming Sunday about the fullness of deity dwelt in Christ bodily. That all that God is was inside of the person of Jesus. That is the great length that he went to to save people. Your heart should sing at that news. You should rejoice at that news that the omnipresent God has gone great to great lengths to save you from your sin. God does not exist within the confines of space and time, but he promises to be with us. God promises his children that he will never leave them or forsake them. We are the bride of Christ and Christ never leaves his bride. Regardless of what bad situation you're in or circumstance or what city you live in or your mental state or emotional state or moving to a different state, whatever the case, place, or time, God promises that he is with you. There is no height you can ascend to, no depth you can descend to, no corner you can hide in, no valley you can travel through, no water you can drown in, no storm you can get caught in, whether real or metaphorical, where God is not present. He can make that promise and keep it because he is omnipresent. And that omnipresent God is with you. And wherever you're going, he's already there. Church, tonight, let's take great comfort for any of you, whatever situation you're in tonight, that God's there. Even when it doesn't feel like it. He's omnipresent. It's his nature that he is there. And if you are his child, all you need to do is Call out to him in prayer. So let's do that. Let's stand and pray.
all-seeing God, omnipresent God, eternal God, self-sufficient God, we come before you tonight, Lord, humbled, humbled by the sight of your majesty, humbled at the thought that you're everywhere, you're sustaining everything, you're upholding everything, yet you're right here with us. God, though we cannot grasp that in the entirety, we can't fully comprehend all that you are or even a single one of your attributes. Lord, just help us to know you more. We can't know everything, Lord, but we can surely know more. So, Father, I pray that you fill us with that knowledge, with the knowledge of who you are and what you're like, that we may take great comfort in the incredible nature of the God that we serve. That way we don't just come to church and just be nice Christian people, but we can be people who really know their God. Lord, I pray that you go with us from this place, that you help us to sense that nearness. Help us to, to see and to realize that you're right there with us, God. In the good times and even in our sin. So please, God, help that to let that be something that, that keeps us away from falling into sin or falling away from you, knowing that you're right there and you're watching us. Let us tremble at the anger of God, but also let us find great comfort in the omnipresent love of God. I pray for all of these things, Lord, in your mighty name, amen.